0: Good morning! Good morning. <laughs> I am Pastor Mike, and we are continuing our series on the New Testament book of Ephesians. <laughs> for those following along, for real though, for those following along, we are currently in chapter four, which falls into this broader section that's all about how Jesus' story can and should lead to real transformation in our everyday lives. This radical transformation of everything from work to family to our behaviors, relationships, motivations, literally everything. That is what Paul takes into consideration over this two-chapter chunk of text. And it's a section in which what we're going to see is that Paul describes and calls us to this radical experience of change, grounded in a core conviction, which is simply this, that our lives particularly our behaviors and our relational worlds flow not out of nowhere, but from the deep internal parts of ourselves, namely our identities, those internal stories of what we believe about who we are, why we matter, what our purpose is, whether we're loved or not. Stories that all of us have and all of us have developed over the course of our lives that Paul believes fundamentally must be changed, if we are going to experience the kind of transformation that Christ calls us to. That is to say, Paul believes that it's allowing Jesus to change such internal realities and stories through which true disciple troop, true, real, lasting, holistic healing and transformation in all these other layers of our humanity will take place. And ultimately, that's what Paul's going to call us to consider in this section. Christ-centered, inside-out transformation. And with that in mind, we're actually going to change things up today. And that is instead of solo preaching like I normally would on this long section of text, I instead want us to read through this two-chapter chunk in parts while pairing each section of text with a main idea and some practical insights on what this process of transformation is like, what it's describing, how we go about it. In particular, insights provided by two awesome E3ers with educational and professional backgrounds related to the areas of counseling and human development, both of whom have graciously offered up their expertise and time to help us explore the who, what, how, when, why, and et cetera's of life change. That is Dr. Mark Reeves and Elizabeth Wilkes. Can you two give them a round of applause? Ross. And would you two please introduce yourselves ever so briefly?
1: Uh, good morning, everyone. My name is Elizabeth Ross. Uh, I'm excited to be here. I have been. Oh, a-
0: I did that.
1: <laughs> oh, no, you got. I'm sorry, Rob. <laughs> um, I have been a part of the E3 community for about 15 years. Um, in my education, I studied sociology and pastoral counseling, um, have experience working through and leading others through 12-step recovery work. Um, also trained in cognitive behavioral therapy for trauma in schools, which is a big mouth- mouthful. And um, through the National Council on Well-Being, I am a youth mental health first aid trainer.
2: Yeah. Awesome. I am Mark Reeves. I'm a psychologist and a counselor. And I've been here about 10 years, I think, mm-hmm. since the Mayhem
0: location. Rock and roll. Appreciate you too. Awesome. Now quickly, a disclaimer. Obviously due to time limitations, we are not gonna get into the weeds on specific individual diagnoses. However, we do wanna just throw it out there that if you are interested in seeking help or more information on anything we talk about or mental health, generally speaking, please feel free to email me at mike at element3.org and I will connect you to the right people to help with whatever you're going through. Amen? Amen. With that, we're going to dive in so we're going to start with ephesians chapter 4 verses 17 through
3: 24. hey i'm amon and i'll be reading ephesians chapter 4 verses 17 through 24 from the new international translation of the bible so i tell you this and insist on it in the lord that you must no longer live as the gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in the understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the handening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. That are ever is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your own self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, Created to be like in God, in true righteousness and holiness. This is the one of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Awesome. Thank you, Amon,
0: remotely. All right, so Mark and Liz, Paul begins this section by describing the Christian life transformation as this process of kind of like changing clothes, right, of taking off our old self, and putting on a new self, literally a total transformation of who we are to our core. From your perspective, what's often necessary for such a major life transformation like this to take place? What usually begins, empowers, or inhibits this kind of pretty radical growth within an individual?
1: Sure, Um, one thing that's helpful for me to consider in life transformation, and Mike, you've talked about this in, in your messages before, is this cycle of death and resurrection that we see over and over again in the Bible. And we see this everywhere if we look for it. So when I first thought of this, I, I just started looking for it and it's everywhere. It's in nature. when we see plants withering away uh, in the winter and then blooming in spring, we see this in the life of Jesus. Um, through a physical death and resurrection, and we see it in our own lives, in individual life transformation as well. Um, and for us, I think it doesn't necessarily mean the death of a whole person, um, but it might be the death of a behavior, a mindset, an addiction. And of course, death is hard. Um, it means letting go of something that's familiar, and oftentimes we don't want to do that. And we want to cling to those parts of our old life um, that may not be serving us well anymore. Um, so change can feel like death, I think, and that's just a, a really uh, uplifting way to start this talk. Um, <laughs> but for me, it, it helps me to remember that, that that cycle of resurrection, that new life, is, is there, And a lot of times we have to go through that, um, what may feel like a death, to get there. And then similarly, I think where transformation happens or that change starts is often born out of a necessity for change. Mm. Um, We typically make changes, I mean, by definition, if you're making a change, you're hoping for a better outcome, which implies that the current reality needs improvement, I think, Uh, I, I Personally, I'm not seeking life transformation when everything in my life is going great. Yeah, when things sure. are going great, I'm like, don't touch anything. Let's leave it <laughs> all. Let's keep it here. Um, so a lot of times something has happened to us or something's no longer working. We've hit um, you know, the so-called rock bottom or the end of our rope. In the 12-step recovery process, we would refer to this as a realization of our powerlessness. And this sounds dark, remember, there's resurrection, new life there. Um, But because change is hard, it's scary, it's time consuming, it's uncomfortable, I think sometimes we resist it. And it might take something hard to get us to the place of realizing and accepting that that personal growth is necessary.
0: Yeah, I, I really like that. I think two things stood out for me when I think about this stuff is the first is it's a process, right? It's not like we go through a take off the old self, put on new self, like in baptism, and then we're good the rest of our lives. Like we're saints now. It's, it's this constant process of almost like um, self-discovery in a really unpleasant sense of like, oh, that part of me needs to go. Oh, there's that posture towards other people. Oh, there's that resentment. Oh, there's that like character defect that I may be a Christian for 20 years before I even realize like, dude, you're an angry guy. And that's part of the old self. And we're gonna have to go through some sort of dying to resurrect the opposite of it in my life. And I think the other thing that I just relate to as someone who is an alcoholic and an addict in recovery is like the ego is never gonna choose to die. Like my ego, my self-centeredness, the part of me that is like, I know everything and I'm the coolest person ever and the whole universe revolves around me. Like that thing in me, what Paul calls like the flesh, is never going to willingly be like, I don't really want to direct Mike's life anymore. There is going to have to be a moment in which that thing is like killed, quite frankly, something outside of my control, right? Something, I think Richard Roy says, it's either great love or great suffering from outside of yourself is going to have to crash into your life to make you even want to see those parts of yourself often, uh, much less confront them, lay them down and find something new. So I thought that's a very astute point. I think a lot of us, and, and honestly, something that's a little encouraging to me, because I think I grew up in a very like triumphant Christianity where it was like just pull up your bootstraps and get to work fixing yourself.
1: It always works. Yeah, That's how it,
0: uh, <laughs> it never once made me any better. Like it kind of made, just like made my problems better disguised more off the dot. Um, and there is something encouraging about like I don't often get to choose when this process starts, and I have to just trust and surrender when it does come my way. Uh, Mark, did you have any thoughts on this this process of transformation? None. Ditto. (laughs) Well
2: said, I appreciate you. I had a thought too, maybe we can partly dedicate this to Bill Lane. Oh yeah. Because I know he inspired a lot of us and was a great um, at teaching us about these things. And he talked a lot about ego. And I read a book that was very enlightening called Ego is the Enemy. If you want to check it out sometimes, pretty pretty tough to read, but pretty helpful. So, yeah, I have sort of three headlines that I wanted to share. Know yourself. I think we're all saying this, too. Mm. Know yourself. Show yourself grace. Change is hard. And just the power of love. Mm. So, in psychology, if people have heard of Carl Rogers, he's very Jesus-like. He said, just love people no matter what. When we are loved unconditionally, we're going to grow. When there's conditions on our worth not going to grow. So if we can show ourselves unconditional love other people, probably going to help. If you're facing discrimination because of race, ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation, poverty, whatever, probably going to stunt your growth. Mm -hmm. So to me it's know yourself, look at yourself. I brought a couple handouts. There's the wellness wheel outside uh, out front there's copies looking at different areas of your life like your budget and your body what does my doctor say I need to change yeah. uh, and also the feelings <laughs> wheel if you've never <laughs> seen it ooh, some fans out there <laughs> this helps you understand your feelings that and helps it's you know pretty. Yourself. and it's pretty it's colorful um, so yeah I got to get. Rid of the the stuff that's not helpful, got to know what it is. Look at yourself. Look at society. Um, There's an interesting quote. You can't change the people around you, but you can change the people around you. (laughs) What? Was there some emphasis that had to be in that real quick? Yeah. So you can't change the people around you like maybe your parents. (laughs)
1: But you
2: maybe (laughs) can change the people you spend time around with. You can change who you spend time with.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a really valuable reminder too, Mark, is that like these layered parts of our identity are always going to be a mix of our experience, our brain chemistry, and our environment, right? There are just going to be parts of this old self, you know, there's parts of my old self that come from my struggle with depression my whole life. And that's a whole other thing about brain chemistry and how you address it and the behaviors that I coped with and yada, yada, yada. Then there's a part of it that's the environment I grew up in. What I learned about myself And this is something we've talked about over and over in Ephesians, right, y'all? We've been talking about growing up in Ephesus as a Roman, a Greco-Roman, the stories you're told about what it means to be human, whether you matter, if you are a slave, like who you belong to. What Paul's trying to get at here is like all of that is wrapped up in the old self that is being taken off as we deconstruct so many layers of ourselves that come from internal, external, all this stuff, and it's all wrapped together. So I think that's a very wise kind of holistic vision of what we're talking about. I will say, just to continue the 12-step thing, I wanna throw this out here. Bill Lang, my sponsor, for those who don't know, he was a sponsor of mine for over a decade. He passed away this last uh, February from lung cancer. He used to tell me that the three things I need are simply this when it comes to recovery. Open-mindedness, self-honesty, willingness. If you are open-minded to recognizing, hey, I don't have the answers, maybe someone else does. If you are self-honest about where you're at, not living in denial, and if you are willing to change, just a willingness. Boy howdy, it's gonna do a lot of work. So gonna throw that out there. With that, I want to move into the next part of Ephesians, and we're gonna continue following Paul's line of thought here as he continues in verse 25.
4: Hey, I am Sam Staley, and I'm reading from Ephesians chapter four, verses twenty five through thirty two, from the New International Translation of the Bible. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be
0: to to God. God. Awesome. So... Moving forward his thoughts, he's talked about taking off the old self, putting on the new self. And now what Paul does is he starts laying out this series of contrasts that describe the difference between what characterizes our old humanity, old self, and our new humanity. Instead of lying, new humans speak truth. Instead of harboring resentment and anger, new humans peacefully resolve their conflicts. Instead of stealing, humans are generous. Instead of gossiping, new humans encourage others with their words. Instead of getting revenge, new humans forgive. Instead of gratifying every impulse, new humans cultivate self-control and surrender to the spirit. Doozy of a list, right? Everyone got that locked down? We're all good on that one? Okay, next section. No, that's like a pretty intense list, right? Kind of touching on some pretty core attributes of what it means to be a human being (laughs) in this world. Um, In your minds, what stands out about these major aspects of being human? That Paul identifies you know what unifies them I guess you would argue how might they act as measurements of spiritual or emotional maturity development and growth and which do you perceive as the hardest for people to change
2: all right so I'm gonna reiterate my headlines know yourself and others around you show yourself grace changes hard and the power of love um, so yeah if we lie to ourselves We can't change. It's comforting. Mm. Um, Drugs and alcohol help us not think about things that are painful, especially grief or trauma uh, or character defects, but then we don't change. So again, one of the things that was most powerful about Bill Lang was one piece of paper in the 12 words group, which was the list of character defects. And the one that was very much about me was talking too much which is why I'm trying to be pithy. (laughs) That's a defense mechanism. That's what you're doing. What a good example. Look up the word pithy. (laughs) That's what I'm working on. Okay, and then if we're in denial about slavery or that it somehow benefited people and we want to lie to ourselves about that, that also may not help us to know what the truth is. So we got to know our history, the whole truth, and whether that's ourselves or our society. So one of the things that Liz and I were talking about is something called schema therapy, uh, which is the kind of counseling that I do. And a schema is a core belief that's unhelpful. There's good ones, too. That was usually born in our childhood because of unmet needs or upsetting experiences. And uh, kind of like Liz was saying, uh, why do we not want to change for some reasons, humans are drawn to consistency and familiarity. So we do destructive things. We keep doing destructive things because it's what we're used to, even when it's destructive. So it's really hard to change. That's one idea. Uh, but it's not impossible, right, Liz? Right. Okay. So the the kind of therapy is like, okay, well, if I'm if I have this self sacrifice tendency, which is like, yeah, Jesus said that. It's pretty sacrificial. But sometimes we take it too much. We can take it too far in life. So I had a client who told me one time, uh, my dad told me when I was a kid, if I just lost 10 pounds, that'd be perfect. Okay, so she becomes a workaholic to try and meet that standard and work because it's really impossible to do with your body. And then she sacrifices a lot of time. So we did some inner child work And we looked at that memory, and we kind of talked to that fill in her name, Mm -hmm. okay, to heal from that memory and get mad, too, at her dad, the memory of her dad. And that has helped her to find more balance. So to me, again, she had to know herself, show herself grace and compassion, that even now, why she's a workaholic, that, hey, that's cool in some ways, but it's also kind of destructive. So how can we? How can she h- show herself love and compassion?
0: Yeah, I think I think that's wise, and I know Liz, you have experience with that. Um, I think it's really interesting, a helpful reminder for me when you think about like this list. Because like usually when we read Paul with this, it's like he will start listing negative things, and you're like, I do that. Check, 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 check. I feel bad. I guess I'm a bad person. End of story, right? And. That's, I I just don't think, the point. I think the point of investigating, this was helpful for me, the point of investigating these and identifying them uh, is to heal them, and part of healing them is recognizing that I didn't choose them. And also they didn't come by accident. And I think that's, like, a critical part of when we talk about the old self, to be like, these came from a, a place. These came for a reason. There was a moment in my life in which I had a choice to lean towards peace or anger, usually quite young, and I went with anger in responding to a stimuli, and It worked. It kept me safe, it kept me out of danger, it made the person who was bullying me stop bullying me, and my little brain said, oh, every time this stimuli comes, get angry, it's gonna be great, right? Well, then you get older, your relationships get more complex, your life gets more complex, and every time someone maybe disrespects you, and then you get angry, but now you're in an office environment and it's not the school bully, it's your boss, now you're in a marriage and it's your wife and not the school bully. Like, y'all see what I'm saying? How does that work out? Real bad, right? But to unravel that part of my old self, I have to know where it came from. And I think that's like part of what you're talking about. And I know Liz, you have a lot of experience with that in terms of this kind of work, if you would like to
4: share.
1: Yeah, um, man. So I'm jumping out of my seat here. Um, before I get to answering the question, uh, I just want to kind of reiterate this inner child healing and how it has been impactful for me in my life. I was in grief counseling for two years after losing somebody in my life, and I struggled with a lot of codependency and anxiety. Um, I started having bad panic attacks and things like that and my grief counselor kept bringing up this idea of inner child healing. And although I have this 12 step experience and counseling and I know all the things, I did not want to do it at all. I was she kept talking about like, you know, like find little Liz and and, you know, what does she need to hear? Little Liz is taking over and getting scared when this is happening. And I was just like, no, 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 this freaks me out. I don't like it. I'm uncomfortable. I don't want to do it. And she would tell me, like, when you get to that place, like, talk to her, you know? Like, tell her something. And I was just like, oh, God, this is so this weird. Is so dumb. <laughs> so stupid. I don't want to do it. And so finally, uh, like, one day I was feeling really overwhelmed, really anxious, really. And I was like, all right, all right, all right, all right. I'll talk to little Liz. And I was like, I don't know what to say. I was like, I'm just going to say what comes out. I don't know what it's going to be. And I go, it's not your fault. And I just grabbed onto it. And I just said it over and over again. I just latched onto it. And I was just like, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. Oh, I just like needed that. Um, And then later I went on to write a letter to little Liz. It's on a note in my phone. uh, And I read it when I need to. And it's like, hey, little Liz, grown-up Liz here. want you to know I know you're scared about this. I know you're feeling this way. I'm here, and I'm going to keep you safe because I know how to do that. Um, So, man, I I just encourage anybody else that that might be feeling like that is weird uh, or is hesitant, that it was such a powerful thing for me. Mm. Um, as far as the question goes, I want to say a couple things. I think there's an important uh, marker of maturity, and, and that is a, a, a shift from self-centeredness to self-awareness. And those two things are similar but different different. When we're operating out of a self-centered place, we are placing um, excessive importance on ourselves. Um, it is important to value ourselves and take care of ourselves, um, but when we're placing that excessive pl- uh, importance on ourselves, we're operating out of a self-centered place, and we are vulnerable to these things that are talked about here, like lying, stealing, anger, revenge, impulsiveness, because we're only operating out of our own needs, mm-hmm. Um our own desires, our own interests. So when we move to self-awareness, it's a little more broad and intentional of a state of being. So when a person is self-aware, they can clearly see their own values, passions, interests, and how they fit into their environment. So their reactions to the world, the impact that they have on others. When we're self-aware, we are better able to speak truth, resolve conflict, Model things like generosity, forgiveness, and self-control. And then finally, you asked, you know, what what is one of the most difficult things or challenging things that it, to deal with? And I, I would say that shift from resentment and anger to resolution and forgiveness is so challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, in my experience and in the experience I have, like, working with others. And I, I think that's because... We are just innately wired for relationship, and a lot of times that resentment uh, or that anger is, is connected to other people and relationships, so it makes the, those things uniquely complex to work through and resolve. Um, and uh, it, it sometimes happens through an interaction with another person, and that might make us feel vulnerable or anxious. I do want to share, though, that there are creative ways to resolve conflict and forgive. So interpersonal rea- interactions uh, towards, for reconciliation are, are one way to do it if it is healthy and safe for the people involved. Um, but a person can also seek resolution and forgiveness within themselves um, through things, journaling, writing a letter to somebody that you're never going to send, um, stuff like that, working with a counselor, a living amends, mm. uh, which just means that we're striving to be the healthiest version of ourself. And we're seeking to be at peace, um, with the world around us. So. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's great. I mean, when Jesus teaches on forgiveness and reconciliation, he's like, there's this forgiveness thing, which is releasing resentment. And he, he tells a parable, unforgiving servant, y'all heard about it. Really intense parable. That's like, Hey, you need to forgive people in your heart. And that one is like, there are no conditions. He's just like, disciples of Jesus, they learn how to forgive. And, and it's all about that internal work of me setting myself free from the prison of resentment, which if anyone of you guys have had resentment, you know what I mean by prison. It keeps you locked up, right? But then when he talks about reconciliation, later in that chapter, it has nothing to do with like, what takes place inside the person. It is a recognition. He's like, you have to figure out how to forgive the other person, but reconciliation, restored relationship, that takes two. And if the other person is unsafe, unwilling to change, going to keep hurting you every time you try to reconcile with them, you should not be trying to do that to some degree. Like, It's an amazing thing. He's like, go talk to them. If they don't change, do not be with that person alone ever again. If you've read the passage, you know what I'm talking about. Get someone else to come with you. After that, the victim's not even involved. The church steps in and starts handling that reconciliation in the first place. And I think that's really wise, right? There's an internal work we do, there's an external work they do, and those don't have to be the same thing. If you cannot reconcile with an abuser, that does not mean you're an unforgiving person. But health does mean that you need to work on what it means to release that resentment, even if it never changes the external relationship, right? Well said. that makes sense? Cool. I think the only other thing I was gonna say is what I love about these is measurements. I think why they are measurements for our maturity spiritually is that they're all external, right? every single one of these is about our relational world. And there's something very helpful to me as I go into growth where it's super easy to be like, oh, it's all in the clouds, the spirituality thing. And what Paul's kind of reminding us here is like, hey, if you're not uh, treating your neighbor nicer, if you're not being kinder to your wife, if you're not being more thoughtful in your generosity, then maybe you're not taking off as much as that old self as you probably think you are. And that's convicting, but it is helpful to me of just like, if you wanna know how good you're doing at the spirituality thing, weigh your relational world. If you see change, Rock and roll. If not, reassess and there is grace. Right? Right. Well, cool. Let's move into the final section and the last question, which is going to be Ephesians chapter five, verse 15 through 20.
4: Hello, my friends at E3, Greg McGehe. I am in Panachel, Guatemala. My wife, Rachel, and I are the executive directors of Porch Day Solomon. Thank you so much for your assistance in ministry, your partnership. We are very, very grateful. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the spirit Speaking to one another with songs, hymns, songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always give thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ.
1: Well, is that like some Guatemalan nature?
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to invite
0: <laughs> like, you guys.
1: Well, what was that? Next year's mission bird? trip. You want to see sorry, that in person? A bird sanctuary? <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs>
0: That's what everywhere in Guatemala looks like, I promise. Come with our team next year. Anyway, so here, Paul closes this long section by describing what being under the, he calls the influence of the Holy Spirit, what that looks like. Highlighting in particular kind of three key activities, the importance of worship, individually and corporately, being thankful for everything, and choosing to elevate others and their needs above our own. So given our conversation thus far, how do these three specific activities and practices combine to highlight this image of spiritual maturity and provide us with a goal for our spiritual growth?
1: Yo, know, my answer is pretty short and sweet and simple. Um, all of these things reminded me of humility, and I think that it that quality encompasses a lot of this. So when We worship we are humbling ourselves to a a greater power when we are practicing gratitude we are humbling uh, we're humble and acknowledging the things that we need and when we elevate others we model humility by recognizing we are not better than anyone else (gasps) hear me again I have to know I am not better than anyone else and when I um, yeah that is that's just a check all the time Um, And so when we practice, uh, when we are worshiping, practicing gratitude, serving others, we are incorporating humility into our lives. And humility is required, in my book, to achieve transformation. Um, But it is also required to maintain it. Inner work is not a one-time endeavor. Um, It's ongoing. So when we choose to worship, be thankful, and elevate other people it keeps us on that path towards uh, spiritual maturity and growth. Yeah.
0: That's great. What about you, Mark?
2: I'm going to try and practice what I'm working on, which is sort of not saying almost anything, because what I learned is when I talk too much, even if I have 10 million really interesting points, other people don't get to talk. Mm. And then you all have to sit around and wait for lunch. So I'm going to shut up.
0: Okay. <laughs> I'm at a loss. All right, thank you, <laughs> panelist number two. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> That's my what opinion. a great okay.
1: example of self-awareness. That was very
0: That's my good. Humility. Uh, <laughs> I don't have that problem. I've never talked too much in my life. Um, <laughs> so I'll gladly swallow those minutes. I, I just would say ditto to what Liz said. I go back to Scott, did a great teaching, gosh, a year ago now, I'm dying, um, on the Christ hymn from Philippians chapter 2. And it's this idea that in Jesus we see the nature of God, and God is a being that pours himself out for the good of others. And that exaltation is coming from humbling ourselves, and being like God means to give ourselves away for something bigger than ourselves and something outside of ourselves. And I just think that image of humility and other-focused service as being the very core of who God is, If you remember that, I think you're right. I think that's what's behind all these three things. When we worship, we tap into who God is in that way. When we're thankful for everything, we realize that everything we have is a gift, that we didn't earn it.
3: We're humble in that way.
0: Humility. And when we elevate others, obviously. Humility. So I think that's very wise. Um, We're going to get people out, like you said, for lunch. Real quick, if you have one bullet point that you could give as advice for someone beginning this journey of growth, what would it be? One thing.
2: Find someone to do the work with, whether it's the spirit of billing. It, I, I had the honor of meeting billing. Mm-hmm. But whether it's a counselor or a 12 step group or your growth group, and ask for feedback. Don't go it alone. Love that.
1: Anticipate the work and time. Mm. Uh, I think this personal growth is, is a marathon, not a sprint. And it can be frustrating when we start investing in our spiritual, emotional, mental health Um and it feels like the results are taking forever or they're hard to measure, we're talking about little changes over time. Um, It's not a linear growth pattern. Um, So those, yeah, those things. Anticipate the work and time. I think that's helpful to know, Um, yeah.
0: Fantastic. Well, can we give them a round of applause? Thank you both for your time. You're awesome. Um, we're gonna get you all out of here with a quick prayer. So if you guys can stand up, if you are able, and let's pray together and we'll get you to lunch and the rest of your Sunday. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for breath. God, we come here to worship you, to praise you. We come here with gratitude. We come here looking to be shown how to elevate others above ourselves. And above all, God, we come looking to connect with you And through that relationship, become more like you so we can be a conduit of your character, of these things that you say are good so that we can put on those attributes of the new self and be more like you in a world that desperately needs more of you. We thank you, God, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Appreciate everyone. Have a great week.